Hey folks, this is Ian Foster, and this is If and When, a podcast where I talk to other creators about how and why they do their thing. To start, I'm talking to colleagues, friends, and veterans of the arts community at home here in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. These are not so much traditional interviews as they're a chat over coffee or something a little stronger. So come sit in and have a listen. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. These are the first intro and outros I've recorded since the podcast went live. So I want to start off by saying thanks so much to those who've subscribed and tuned in so far for the Sandy Morris conversations and the messages that you've sent me up front. Those earliest messages mean so much just to understand kind of what this podcast is to both me and to you and have dialogue about it is really rewarding so thank you so i'm about to head to nashville for 10 days we're excited about that we're headed there for nancy's birthday and we're going to be seeing some friends and we're going to be seeing mavis staples at the ryman auditorium with special guest john prine jason isbell and a bunch of other unknowns ha ha uh, it's going to be amazing so we can't wait for that. We can't wait to be in a place that doesn't have frost warnings every night, even though it's May. That's okay. That's what it is. And we're totally not going to complain about the weather anymore because we're Newfoundlanders and we wouldn't do that, right? Right. No, seriously, it's fine. We're, I mean, we're almost there. You know, we're almost there. Almost to that time when, you know, things are alive again and we can go out into the sun and the wind doesn't hurt our faces quite as much. We're going to get there. We're going to make it. My guest today is Tara Bradbury, a pretty badass woman in every respect, uh, particularly in her line of work of arts reporter and now court reporter for The Telegram, St. John's major newspaper. I've known Tara quite a few years. She's covered me on a number of projects that I've put out into the arts world, and she's just a really sweet person to talk to. She was one of the first people I thought of when I thought about making this podcast because how I kind of conceptualized it was that this run of guests that you're listening to are all people that I've just had such easy and interesting conversations with in the real world um, with, with, with no stakes and no microphones. They're just those people that I love to run into because every time I do, they tell me something or we get into a discussion that sticks in my brain for a while afterwards. That seems like a good enough reason to want to record them, right? Tara is definitely that person. She lives a pretty fascinating life, I think, though she's very humble and modest in this interview. As you'll hear, that is just how she is. We talk about a number of stories she's written over the years, including the Captain's Quarters murder that happened a few years back and her coverage of the police officer who was on the scene for that. We talk about her coverage of FemFest and online trollery, which is a heartbreaking but interesting conversation. In the end, she even uses her Jedi powers to trick me into revealing that I have an extremely long, fake, but shitty, but awesome band name list in my phone that I keep adding to. Um, let's face it, she didn't have to convince me to talk about that. I will talk about that with literally anybody. So, I hope you enjoy part one of my conversation with journalist Tara Bradbury. Uh, hi, Tara. 
Hi, Anne. Thanks How for being you? here. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Yeah. I love this idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me, uh, you know, let's start at the beginning. Sure. To get going. Tell me where you're from. I'm from town, but I am a first-generation townie only. First-generation mm-hmm. townie. Where's yeah, the family yeah. from? So my dad's family is from Bay Roberts, but um, my grandfather was a United Church minister, so they moved around a bit, a fair bit, Carboneer and Bonavista and... Um, Glover Town, and my mom is from Happy Adventure. You know where that is? I do. Yeah. I've been out there. The best. Yeah. The best. Happy, happy Adventure. Happy Adventure. As it's set out there. Peter Easton's hideout. Totally. So we have hikes out there. I've been out to Winterset uh, in course. Eastport. Of course and, you have. Uh, got some uh, family who have a place uh, in Salvage, which, which is... is one of the most beautiful communities in the whole province, right? in my opinion. Oh That's my the postcard. God, it is. Yeah. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Gorgeous. That's totally. nice yeah, it is. that's great. Yeah. So uh, you went, I know I know some things about you, So I, but I sort of <laughs> want to hear it, and I know a bunch of things about you probably, but uh, I want to hear it in your own words. So tell me, uh, give me some perspective on the journalistic route for you. Right. And, and what came before that? I do know you went to art school. Well, I did, I didn't go to art school. I did a, I did a, like a minor in, in mm. uh, yeah, yeah, when I was going to, when I did journalism, but right. um uh, so I was probably six when I decided I was going to be a journalist and I don't, like, I think about it now and I don't really know how I didn't get beat up in school because I mean, I, was, I still bump into my kindergarten teacher in the grocery store and she always reminds me that I used to bring the telegram for silent reading, like when I was five, which that's I mean, amazing. think about that. That's, that's weird. That's, <laughs> it's not amazing. It's weird. You know, but, I relate to it though. I, my first, I remember there was kind of three or four jobs in my whole life that I've ever wanted. Kindergarten, yeah. I wanted to be an ambulance driver. Wow. And that was quickly quashed because I couldn't spell ambulance. Oh, and I realized I shouldn't take a job that <laughs> I couldn't could, spell. That, that's decent advice. And then like probably around eight or nine, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And right. I don't think I knew what that was. But talk about like I could have taken off some of the heat off you from getting beat up by being like, <laughs> I could be a marine biologist, guys. That's, and kids are like, really? I want to be an astronaut. You know? <laughs> that'd be a great career. <laughs> marine biologist would be super interesting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But six, like six, yeah. and you knew right then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I didn't really ever want to be anything else, you know, not seriously. But, I mean, I had areas of journalism that I wanted to do, I suppose. But, I mean, I remember being in grade three, two or three, I guess. What? Yeah, maybe. And the, um, and I used to kind of, well, I read the newspaper and write my own news stories on things that I read that I found were interesting. And it was when they were preparing for the, the Challenger launch, the Space Shuttle Challenger, and there was this, a teacher that was going on board, Kristen McCullough, and I was really interested in this because she was the first, you know, non-astronaut person to, that they had chosen to go. And, mm. and so I'd followed her kind of career, and I was a little kid, and I was writing these stories, and then I watched it the launch live, and, of course, it blew up, like, 70 seconds after. And I remember going into school with my mom, like, holding my mom's hand, and she had to tell the teacher I was going to have to have a couple days off because I was really distraught. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It was heavy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did you gravitate to news particularly or arts, or what was it about journalism? I I don't know, really, because it was, I mean, it was doing creative writing, too, and writing, like, little novels I mean chapter books and stuff it was just writing I just wanted to write everything everything right and just had an interest in learning you know I, I would have you know my mom says now that she she figured at one point I would be a professional student just doing university forever because it just 
this is, I want to soak up every information, every bit of information. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I came from. But, wow. Mm-mm. That's cool. Yeah. And so you went to university. I did. Yeah. What did you do? I did journalism in, uh, at Concordia in Montreal. Cool. And then I did some art in the background of that. Right. And uh, mostly art history and stuff too. Right. But I'd always, I'd, not always, but I'd taken some art lessons and always kind of had an interest in it as well and come from a pretty artistic family. So. Right. Tell me a bit more yeah. about that. I feel like that's something people definitely arts, don't know about you. The arts that, bit, yeah, yeah. And that you're an actual, I've seen some of your art. Yeah. It's yeah, great. Yeah. 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 Dude, a lot of, um... Um, textile arts, like crafty arts, which I was really close to my grandma and that's kind of what she did. And some painting and stuff. And I do like probably what you saw with the watercolor portraits that I was doing. Like mm-hmm. I do that still. Yeah. Sometimes. Cool. Mm-hmm, for sure. For sure. Yeah. How does that, um, what, I mean, does that, what does that give you, uh, in your day compared to your day job? I mean, you've always right. had this dream of journalism. <laughs> like what's the, you know, right? how does that well, all fit together? You know how they always... People always advocate for journaling as a stress relief and whatever. That is not a stress relief for me at all because it's just writing is, you know, it's not a stress relief at all. It's just my life. So I think that way, I guess it's kind of another way of um, expressing the things that I see and notice, you know, just instead of instead of doing it in, in words, just to do it in another form. So it's just another form of expression, I guess. Still communication. Right. For me, I suppose. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, such yeah. an interesting idea because yeah. your day more than the probably the average job is taking in. It's not just communication. It's like taking in people's stories. That's right. And taking in like yeah. all of the myriad emotions of that, which I know a lot of people uh, know you as an arts journalist. But the last few years. One you, year. year. One year you've year been doing half, yeah. court journalism. Yeah. Those yeah, are heavy yeah. stories to take in. They are. They are. And I think... Um, Probably when you come from an arts background, it it's harder because you're you've hmm, you're trained to notice everything, every detail. You're trained to pick up detail. I'm sure you you know what it's like. You know if, when you when you walk in a room, you're gonna pick up the sound and and how it looks and how it smells and what people are doing and expressions because you're gonna translate that to your own music when you write. You need that detail for your songs and mm-hmm. and it's like that. So sometimes I don't. I don't want all those details in a core case. Yeah. But I think um, I think it adds to I hope it adds to um, to the stories for the readers. Right. I don't find hmm, and we spoke about this before. If I'm covering a case that's violent, you know, a murder trial or whatever, I don't often I don't ever really publish pictures where you can see much because I don't see the value in that Mm. it's so you know it might be okay you're going to show a crime scene or the remnants of a crime scene and people have seen it they see it on tv and they see it online they're going to be shocked for two seconds and they're going to move on if you can kind of paint the feeling the urgency or the trauma or the you know the desperation of that scene in words I think it's far more effective Right. And whatever message you're trying to get across, like this is a terrible thing and this is what we deal with in our justice system or this is the kind of thing that happens in our communities, I think it will stick with people longer than if they're just going to look at it. That's just my opinion. Yeah. But, well, we had a conversation specifically about... That's right. ...about the captain's quarters. Are we allowed to talk about this? Yeah. Or, I yeah. guess because it's an, a closed case now. Well, it's or, an appeal, but that's... Yeah, but the trial is done, yet. Yeah. Right. And... Yeah. and 
you wrote that story and oh, yeah. you talked about, That's right, yeah. uh, well, you know, you, you, you say it in your own words, you know, kind of what some of those details that are in that story that was published, not just the yeah. details you learned. Yeah. I just thought they, they've still stuck with me, even right. from you telling me about right. them, you know? Yeah. And that, that case, I, I mean, uh, that, that's Constable Reynolds you're talking about, right? Barry yeah, Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, he's an RNC officer, and he's an amazing guy. And I had just met him. I, I'd never met him before, but I know him. You know, I see him and chat with him all the time now, and he's an incredible guy. But so that case, you want me to tell that story? Sure, sure. If you're <laughs> okay with that. Yeah, 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 for sure. So that that was a murder trial and uh, uh, an armed robbery that resulted in a in the unfortunate uh, death of a man who tried to intervene, and. Um, and there were pictures of of the crime scene. I mean, not no one's going to use pictures where you can you can see the person. But I mean, there was blood and and we could have used them. But um, that's that's what I'm talking about. Like that's the kind of thing that would have you know shocked people for one minute and they would have moved on. That part doesn't. This also might sound really cold, and perhaps it is, and and probably a result of being kind of desensitized to it, but. That, I mean, I, that doesn't bother me to look at. I can look at those pictures, they don't bother me. I can look at autopsy pictures at this point, and they don't bother me. But what really bothers me is the, the testimony of the people who are still living, the wife of the victim, or somebody who was there and witnessed it, the first responders, that really, you know, there's lots of times I have tears in my eyes, maybe not that professional, but, you know, you can't help it. And, and I guess in a way, taking on the feeling is is all the better to to you know transmit that to readers but this case um the the police officer the first police officer on the scene testified and that was constable barry reynolds rnc and he got on the stand and he spoke about first of all he started off by talking about you know he didn't know when he got the call to go there they didn't know if there was a shooter still inside and he has two daughters at home and he's got a wife and he thought about them and he was saying all this on on the stand and then he spoke about going in there you know with his gun drawn because he didn't know what he was going to find seeing this man lying there not knowing what to do had called you know knew that an ambulance was on the way he went to the man he saw the injury he knew that it was not good and he said I didn't know what to do all I knew to do was to lie down with him in the pool of blood and hold him. And he said, I could feel the scruff of his beard on my cheek. You know, I, I saw him blink. And all I could do is tell him, just hold on, help is on the way, and you're in good hands and that kind of thing. And that was amazing mm -hmm. because not only was it amazing, you know, for a story, but I got, it just, you know, it hit me, and I and I hope it hit readers that this, I mean, this is the kind of thing I'd, I'd like to do in cover, covering court, like letting people know this. This is a police officer that's putting his life, his mental health and his life, like his life, he didn't know what was there, on the line for us, for our protection. This mm. is a guy who's suffered, like who will never be the same after that, yeah. for us. And it was shocking. And it was, it was a, an amazing story. I will never forget his testimony. I see him all the time now and he's just an amazing guy. But things like that, how can you do justice to that in, with a picture of a crime scene? You can't. Yeah. Uh, there's something. You can't. I, I think this was the same story. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But in the, in the written story, uh, there's a part about after he left the scene. Yeah, and he went home. He drove home and he blasted the tragically Tragic hip, hip. Mm -hmm. on max volume. Yeah. And he, it's a quote from him yeah. about how he did that. Yeah. And there was something about that. 
just putting yourself in yeah. this position. Yeah. Imagine like how you try to deal with that in the moment. And then go back to your normal life. Right. Just get in your car and put on the music you always put on and then go back home to your wife and cry, you know, which is what he said, you know. Yeah. And his wife is a police officer too, also a great officer. So, it, I mean, it, there's, when I took that job, uh, well, when I took the beat, I didn't even realize really how many shades of color there are in court. It's never black and white. You know, there are very few evil people in court. There's some <laughs> that are just bad. They know they're bad. They don't care. Right. But most of them are not. Right. There are people who are struggling with mental illness or addiction or dealing with abuse from their childhood. And they're, they're just, you know, all kinds of circumstances. I don't have sympathy for the crime ever by any means. Not at all. Do they deserve to suffer the consequences of their actions? Yes, they do. But I have so much sympathy for what brought them there. Right. And I think People don't always think about that. Totally. I, I, I think um, sort of a vague connection here, because um, we've talked about this when you covered uh, one of my records years ago. Um, <laughs> there was a, there was a song related to uh, my grandparents yeah. and the war. I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And amazing. And I, I remember the impetus for that was being at the Ottawa War Museum. And mm-hmm. at the end of the museum, it had this sort of plaque and a very paraphrased here now, a pale comparison. But it's something like uh, talking about how the decisions and the choices of the men and women who fought in mm-hmm. every war before now uh, were equally as hard as any decision we have today. Which yeah. sounds obvious in one way. Right. But in another way, I, I think the reason that they had it there was because... In the context of, say, World War II, which is, is you know, related to this song, I mean, we have so many movies. We have so much media yeah. that's, like, sensationalized, and it's so easy almost to think of it as, like, right. it's a movie, you right. know? And then to try to, for a second, get into the headspace, like, the minutia, like, the day-to-day mm. of somebody who would be in the trenches and, yeah. like, writing a letter that's home, right. just how people had to act. Because that's yeah. what we connect to. That's right. And the idea of, like, that's right. this guy blasting and tragically hit, like, those little details to me are, like, that's what's different than just going, there was another murder last night. And that's everyone goes, right. oh, murders are bad. That's right. Well, obviously. That's right. But those things are the things that we go, wow, that always stuck with me. Like, I didn't forget that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and there are lots of... You know, there are lots of cases like that, true, you know, that's true, that things, you know, and I, I could be there and I'm, you know, in work mode covering it and and that kind of thing and then go home in the night and then it'll hit me. Like, what did I see today? <laughs> what did mm. I hear today? That kind of thing. But the, in terms of like, I don't, I don't live tweet. I can't live tweet um, mm. from the courtroom of because course, yeah. I can't, I can't take notes and live tweet and I put too much value in looking at people's faces and seeing expressions and that and I I just really value that. And I think that is probably an artistic point of view, you know what I mean? To to visualize it like visually take everything in. But I think it adds to the story. That's just my opinion and I I mean I hope readers would say the same thing. But I think it it's you're better able to bring them there, which is my goal, to bring readers somewhere that they haven't been. Um when I'm able to do that, you know, mm. able to describe. And you, and you learn so much more about people from just, you know, from watching. <laughs> of course, yeah. Right, yeah. Tell, tell me about compartmentalization. It's fascinating, yeah. particularly yeah. with you. I've always been a bit in <laughs> awe of you this way. And I, I, I will admit, even on mic, that I've, I've thought to myself 
Uh, it's made me feel bad sometimes, Tara, what to text heck? you. And here's why. Because I will text you and say, I have a new song coming out and I'd like to talk to you about oh, it. God, and you'll no. and you'll very, very nicely. And, and I know this is not your intention at all, but it makes me laugh like in retrospect that you'll be like, I can't wait to cover this. Uh, currently dealing with a murder trial. <laughs> and I'll be yeah. like, you know what? The song is not as important. <laughs> like, no, but, but it and is. You're ne- and you're never a jerk <laughs> about it. That's the thing that is amazing. I'm like, this girl has got compartmentalization down of her arts coverage of like, I made a thing. And then there's like a crazy murder thing. You're like, I'm also dealing with this. It's amazing. Yeah, but. That I'm genuine. I'm not. I mean, exactly. Yeah. How it do you do is it? important. It is important. You know, it's very important, and especially the type of music that you you know, because you're you're a storyteller with yours, and you put a lot of of human nature in your stories, and a lot of personal experience in your songs, and that too. No, it's it's amazing. But that was kind of one of my um, requests when the editors asked me to take over this beat was that I could still you know, have some kind of <laughs> say in the arts beat because it's heavy, man. Like this, you know, and it's easy to get jaded and it's exhausting looking for the good in, <laughs> in things at core. So it's a good balance, I think. And and sometimes they cross over, rarely, but sometimes they do. But right. when I say like, oh, I can't wait to do it, I mean, I can't wait oh, to yeah, do it. Oh, yeah, I really do. I really do. And it's important, you know, and... It really is. It totally. Really is, no, sure. I obviously I'm just kind of giving you the gears here, as they yeah, say, a little bit. No, but I get but it. but in the context and all in all honesty, like I do think that that's funny. You know, I think like to do that, to do those two <laughs> such different jobs. Yeah. You know, like it's that's good balance. Yeah, it's a good balance. Yeah. You know? Totally. And you have you have a, a son I as do, well. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, and and it must be I don't know like. <laughs> you know, I just imagine going home from a day at work like that and you know. it's yeah, it's hard. Some days it's hard. And he's really I mean, you you know him too, you've met him too. He's he's a sensitive kid and he's a, a smart kid. I mean, not his mom, of course, but he's very interested in um current events and you know, he likes politics and he likes whatever I'm writing about, he's interested in because right. he wants to know. And so I try I mean, I think it's an important lesson for him. He's nine and I think it's important important for him to know that it's not just bad guys in court there are a lot of good people that do bad things or good people that feel desperate and you know and and I think it's I think he needs to know that I think it's the world is less scary and it's more empathetic and I think the world needs to know that so I try and teach him that and so um I don't hide you know within reason obviously I'm not going to tell him you know some things that are scary but he knows uh if there's a murder trial he knows he doesn't you know doesn't know all the details, but he knows about it. And I realized, I guess, at what point kids really will, what point he was really taking it in, the things that I talk about or the things I write about. When one day he said, um, I got mad at him for something, he got in trouble, like whatever he was doing, I don't know. And I said, what are you doing? You can't do that. And he said, no, please don't remand me in my bedroom. <laughs> Don't remand me in my room. <laughs> he used the word remand. Amazing. I was like, that's great. That's yeah, great. That's, yeah, perfect. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Agnes, Agnes Walsh and I, uh, she was in a little while ago yeah. and we were talking about, uh, we had this kind of interesting conversation that touched on maybe a reason that artists statistically, I guess, are fairly liberal in right. their beliefs in general. Mm-hmm probably boils down to a degree of the empathy required 
to tell a story or to... I'm sure it does. You know, like I think of it from my perspective of if you're going to write a song that's not like completely autobiographical, right. you have to put yourself in another person's shoes. Absolutely. And as soon as you do that, you start to see why that person struggled that way right. and why they did the things they did. Right. I mean, that must... I mean, we touched a little on that, but that's got to be a big part of what you've taken to court reporting. For sure. And that's why your work is so important too, you know. It is, it is. It's and yeah, you well, I mean, journalism is literally seeing both sides and presenting both sides, you know, so that people can make up their own minds and that everybody gets a fair chance kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Hmm. When you're when you're used to I mean, art is also putting yourself outside yourself, you know, and, and seeing the world in different ways. So for sure, for sure. Here's here's sort of a related thing. So yeah. I know you try very hard to uh, um, to balance your reporting uh-huh. in, in you know, and then, and that's been uh, complimented as as we were talking about <laughs> off mic, you know, um, in, by, by various some, people, inmates sometimes, by inmates sometimes, um, <laughs> and and I think as someone. As, as a consumer reading the news in the broad sense, not just your news, but yeah. the news, and reading about these reports, inevitably you see very reductive yeah. reasoning from the public, right? Of I mean, course. if there's a murder story and there's a picture with a guy with a face tattoo, yeah, you know what the comments are going to be. Of you course. don't even need to read the story. Of you course. don't even need to read the headline. Like, of you course. just know what it's going mm-hmm. to be, you know? Uh, how do you feel the, and obviously not naming any names, but do you feel like the reporting, do you feel like the reporting overall, not just yours, but everything is balanced on these cases and it's just that people are just not taking in the details? When it is a more gray area case of mm-hmm. of a complex case, do you think people are just kind of go, I'm just going to default to a quick snap judgment? Or mm-hmm. do you think that there's any issue in some of the reporting sometimes that leads to those snap judgments. Yeah. But yeah, both really. Um, I know everybody tries to be balanced. And the thing about covering a court case is that it's, you know, day by day when you have to go, go home at the end of the day and write a story on what happened that day, that day is not always a balanced day, you know, cause the way it works is the crown presents its case first and then they close and the defense presents. So there are a lot of days when it's all against the accused, against the accused, and then, then it's going to be all for the accused on another day. So mm-hmm. sometimes the day itself just wasn't a balanced day. All we heard from today were people who believe this guy did it. So that's all I had to, you know, your report that day. Right. So sometimes it's, that's just the nature of it. But yes, people are always quick to judge. Always. Right. Always. Right. Readers will always, always, and always, you know, assume that the person is evil, <laughs> I find. Default to always, evil. Yeah, I just always assume that they, you know, that they deserve it. And, yeah, and I think there's sometimes a lack of understanding of the justice system as well and how it works, and which is, it's hard, yeah, to be on an outsider looking in. I know it's hard, but there are, you know... This, it seems it often seems like it's not fair and often it is not fair <laughs> but right yeah yeah do you yeah, think, think it's gotten lost. any worse i know that here uh, here i am talking to a journalist this is a leading question isn't it <laughs> uh officially but like i i guess i've wondered about this in terms of uh just to take it outside of that specific question for sure. a second the idea of like I find that social media, the sort of outrage machine, as people call it, the idea that there's so much noise now in mm-hmm. how much info we receive mm-hmm. and how much, you know, if you open up Twitter, it's like this mm-hmm. insane roller coaster of a thousand things Absolutely. that people say 
be upset about this. And right. I wonder if the gut reaction, well, the subconscious reaction, I should say, to that is people going like, I'm either going to tune out completely, like it just all cancels mm-hmm. it out, or I need to make quick decisions on this because I don't have time to actually dig into this in any kind of deep way because there's 11 other things I'm supposed to be outraged about right. that I need to make a choice on, right. you know? And obviously that's a problem that technically has only existed for the last little bit over a decade. Right. But yeah. I mean, you've been doing it longer than that. Do you see a change in that uh, that you can identify? I certainly see a change in the way people want to consume news. And it's a lot quicker than, you know, a, it's a lot easier, you know, they want to be able to... Um, you know, know everything about a news story on the radar work. Like, you know what I mean? They want to, you know, they in, and even in arts, you know, like it, it boiled down to sometimes like, okay, here, here are five things you should know about the folk festival this year. Right. And that's how people want. Listicles. They want listicles. Yeah. Right? The, Listicles are the bane of my, I don't know. I went I to it. journalism school you, for man, a listicle. <laughs> like, I get it. I, but listen, people like people want their news like that. Even in even in just the music, I remember Q magazine was a magazine that I really loved from mm-hmm. England, right? The music magazine. Yeah, and it was yeah. always so thick and yes. full of info, like compared to like Rolling Stone was getting like more and more like a pamphlet. Okay. And Q was always that magazine that, you know, this is like early two thousands, you know, that was just like, Oh, I'm going here for my info for in depth reviews. And then I even saw, and this is like pre-Facebook, I guess, like early 2000s or right around when it was starting, just like the gradual birth of the listicle in print that Mm. as soon as it, the internet really became Mm -hmm. the shareable thing, Mm -hmm. like it just blew up. And that magazine went to like 72 things about, and it was (laughs) like, it's still long, but it's only because the list is 72 instead of 15. It was still listicles. But that's how people want to consume the news. Then, you know... There's you, I, I feel too, you know, sometimes we do video or we get shots, you know, for our web or even because I do some freelance stuff for TV and whatever. It doesn't even have to be as good quality as it used to because people are used to getting news from YouTube. They're mm. used to seeing, you know, Facebook news and, and it's really strange, but they, nobody has any time anymore. They just want to like, tell me what I need to know today right now because I'm on the way out the door and I can't, you know, that's what they want. Right. So there's definitely, definitely been a shift to that. Definitely. Right. 100%. Yeah. How do you process that in terms of your daily, you know, this is your purpose. This is what you do. Right. Do you, do you just kind (laughs) of, do you just kind of process a version of like, I keep my head down and do good work and that's all I can do? Or does it ever get to you and you're like, fuck guys, I'd really wish you'd read the whole article. (laughs) It gets to me. It gets to me. Yeah. Yeah. Of (laughs) course. It definitely gets to me. But I guess I have to try and find an angle to hook people in and make them read the whole thing, you know, and right. and to try and make it really worth reading, you know. Yeah, which is also hard when you're confined by space and the, sometimes in the printed paper and not online. But, yeah, it gets to me big time mm-hmm. when I can't, I mean, you know, if I'm, I'd love to write a, that full story about the folk festival, but are people going to read it to the end when right. they've read it last year and the year before and the year before? Probably not, you know, and I'm just any festival or any event, yeah, like yeah. I'm, yeah. you know, so, but they want to know it. They want to know the news, but they just want, just like, give it to me. Just give it to me right now. I don't want to read it. Just tell me, you know, right? like that. Yeah. I, I, I once heard the, like the, like movie trailers, right? Like yeah. I want, the nature of movie trailers is like, I kind of want to watch the movie, before I watch the movie. That's right. So I can decide if I'm going to like the movie that I haven't yet watched. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, sometimes you'll see stories shared, you know, I'll write a story and 
and post it online and people will share it and then somebody will comment, you know, well, I think the judge should have said this. And like, did you, did, you didn't even read it. Because the judge did say that. If you read the story, you know, they're just going to read what their friend posted and their friends comment, I think this is terrible. And then they're going to comment on that without even reading it. Or they might read the... That part drives me up the wall. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a, you know, I, I, I've only had a couple of uh, personal experiences like that. Uh, one of them, and they're all so mild by comparison, but like, so maybe you remember this story. I was uh, deported from St. Pierre Miquelon yes. when I went over for a gig. I forgot about that. And uh, and it was pretty much funny from the moment it happened. Like, you know how there's <laughs> stories that are like, this will be funny later? Right. It was like weird and bad in the exact moment, moment. but like, like a half an hour later, it was <laughs> funny, you know? And then from a half an hour later on, it was funny. Mm-hmm. And so we did this whole thing with the whole like postcard describing yeah. our deportation as the plot of Les Miserables. And funny. it was just all for a joke and like CBC covered it. And it was picked up by Yahoo somehow oh, wow. as a story of like deportation, but like in the context of like in the story, I was like holding this postcard. Like right. to me, like I made sure even from the yes. the perspective of whoever it was at CBC that I was like, you know, this is funny. Yeah, like this sure. is ultimately like one of those, mm-hmm. you know, yes, it shouldn't have happened. It was silly from a bureaucratic standpoint, but like, come on. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's St. Pierre, right. you know, it's like, anyway. And I remember a few friends sharing it and seeing it go out to the friends and friends of friends and I, I i still remember someone commenting about something about like i bet he didn't have blah serves him right or something yeah, and, and like the second about. paragraph of the article dealt with yeah. the thing that whatever the detail was the guy brought up that that's know. exactly what i mean it's frustrating right right it's frustrating yeah, and I mean, like I said, from a perspective of like, luckily that was just, ultimately it was sort of one of those life, I don't know, it's not a lifestyle, but you know what I mean? Those sort of hilarious little cultural yeah. anecdotal stories. Yeah, sure. So it's not like I was like, oh, I'm deeply offended you didn't understand exactly my plight. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I try to imagine yeah. like a courtroom situation where like these are people's lives at stake yeah. and the general public is misconstruing key details. And yeah. obviously those details in one way or another are probably beamed into those people's lives. They're all, everyone's on the internet mm. and they're reading like, they're mm. reading that and going like, no, you're not understanding the story. Like that's got to be deeply frustrating. That it's people frustrating. Would, you know? There are people that will always pick up for that though. <laughs> I find like, you know, right. there are people who read it and who will call others out <laughs> yeah. on it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Femfest. Oh God, this. <laughs> I'm sorry. We don't have to. Oh, I did an interview yesterday about that too. No. Yes, really? global. Yeah. Oh my God, that was two years ago. That oh, it was the, four years ago. Now. Four years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I read an opinion piece from you the other night that maybe it was 2016. Is that possible? And it was your experiences with. That was the no. That was the year. That was okay. 2014. But um. 14? No, sorry. 16 it was. It was 16, okay. It was 2016. Yeah. That's when it was. Yeah, Yeah. and I I remember reading... We've talked about this again Mm -hmm. off mic a little bit, and you've told me some fascinating... Uh, disturbing, but fascinating mm-hmm. anecdotes about uh, trolls and comment sections. I'd mm-hmm. love to touch on one or two of those. Sure. But that, that, that man, I just reading that again last night, I, there's so many things outside of FemFest. FemFest, I guess, was the inciting incident. But in this right. particular opinion piece you wrote for the Telegram, you articulated a ton yeah. of stuff that was just... Yeah. bonkers, right? Bonkers. Yeah. Bonkers. Yeah. And not only my own, like my colleagues' experiences. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. It's, it's shocking. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, you I know? know. 
Um, so I obviously will give a little context for what this is. You right. did a story about FemFest, which was, as you said, it was a, a, an event advancer. Yes, really. It, was it a... wasn't even an, a deeply controversial, no. like controversial and it, story. And right? it certainly wasn't an opinion story. It was like I would do, you know... Uh, Ian Foster's like got a show. Or, Ian Foster's yeah. got a show coming up, and here's an interview with him about uh, what you can expect from it, and here's some background on him, and here's how to get tickets, and here, feel free to go or not go, but I'm going to give you the information because you might like it. You totally. know, that's what the story was on this um, festival, and that's all it was. And I filed that story thinking, like, okay, like I did not have a single inkling that. Anybody would find that offensive because right. it's an event. Don't go if you don't want to go. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But a lot of people do. So here's the information. Right. And then it just went crazy. But the, you know, people just took offense at the fact that there was a feminist festival and that I was writing about it. And that uh, the, the part that made me the most mad, it was just one comment that kind of spurred that column, which was the most right, but. <laughs> that and the column was that the the comment was emailed to me and it said why are you even writing about this you're just a biased bitch I don't even know why I'm a biased bitch because I'm a female I suppose I don't know I don't know I didn't I don't know why that person thought I was too biased to write about right feminism. you are no biased idea. to events as in I'm, you I'm like biased. to go to events I, like or it. or that <laughs> like that that I was a feminist somehow that shouldn't be writing I have no idea like I don't they didn't give any context they just called me a biased bitch right so I don't know. And it made me mad and really, it made me mad and like really like, what the, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sick of this Yeah. kind of thing. Now, yeah. I mean, was this the first kind of thing you've received like oh, this? Oh God, no. But I mean, the first, no, I mean, it's a fact of life really, but that was just annoying. Yeah. That, that specifically with the, I mean, I headed up the, the telegram had a charity for Iris Kirby house for a while for victims of domestic violence, female victims of domestic violence and mm -hmm. children. And I headed that up. And I, I, maybe that's why I was the biased bitch because they felt that I was, you know, because of that. I have no idea. Mm. But, um, I mean, therein lies madness trying to figure out the nuts. machinations of some idiot it's on the nuts. internet. But yeah, so I had gotten things, you know, some t comments about that before be because of that. Yeah. It's weird. But that was just really annoying. I mean, because, I'll just do my job. Yeah, <laughs> just writing yeah. a story and telling people the news. Like, I mean, I think annoying is an understatement. <laughs> it so. was not an opinion. It was not a, you really need to go to this. It was not a, anything it was just right. regular. Oh my God. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, it, Yeah. I can't imagine the sort of, uh, you, you mentioned in that article passingly, which I think is telling as well that you're, that you say, you know, this is not new. This no. is a fact of daily life. Yeah. And, uh, I mean that alone is disturbing, you know. That it's this disturbing. is a this is a big part of mm -hmm. like this is something you've had to endure and just let go as a commonplace thing. Like how, I'm trying to think of other examples. I mean, okay, so you say no. one in the article about uh, going to a Dunderdale. Um, oh yeah, when they they made a joke and said she's only here to cover what it was when I think it's when Dunderdale premier then premier Dunderdale resigned, I believe. And I went to cover it, and there was another journalist there. I mean, to be fair, I was arts reporter at the time, and it was probably seemed strange that I was there, you know, that I would be there. But I was there to do video because I'm trained in, and I'd gone to film classes, and I was trained to do audio video, and that's why I was there to film it. Right. And he said to one of the premier staff members, she's only here to cover what the premier's wearing. And the worst part about that was that the staff member, two men, believed it. 
and told me, oh, it's like a blue kind of <laughs> pantsuit thing. It's like a satire. Like, what the hell? Strange. Wow. Mm-hmm. That was weird. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you... Jeez. <laughs> and, and in that... So the, the feedback from the FemFest article spurred an opinion piece, an editorial on how... Um, female journalists just want to do your job basically and so for that I interviewed you know some of my colleagues and male and female and I quoted some of them as well Ashley Fitzpatrick who was our natural resources reporter at the time she's doing legislature now she's brilliant she's there is no more intelligent journalist than her in my opinion and she was speaking about you know she'd go out on on job sites, basically, like she's covering oil and gas and mining and that, and then and people would question her choice of footwear. I mean, readers, what what boots did you wear? You shouldn't have sent someone who wears high heels, or you know, st- like as if she didn't know what she's. And so she spoke about that. So I just kind of compiled all this in a in a editorial, and basically the theme was we just want to do our jobs and. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, maybe this is that the empathy thing we're talking about where you're trying to understand a- yeah. any side, even sides that you don't think are, are correct. Like, I, so you're telling me know. like that someone is, you know, I'm trying to imagine the idea of someone going like, okay, they've seen Ashley. Mm-hmm. And like, like the way you just said that, they've, like, they've, like that, that she a... wears high heat, like as if what they saw her and then went home and wrote on the I, internet about a story. Like, I can't even imagine yeah. where the. I think they didn't see her. They, it, that was a, a comment that she told me that was posted on the story online. So she it had been a mining site. And the comment was something like, why did the telegram send a female? I can only imagine her marching out there in high heels. They should have sent Russell Wayne Garcia instead. It was, I mean, she, just bullshit. Just something Misogynism like, yeah, shit. just yeah. random, yeah. just stupid comments. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And actually, after that. I remember that comment in the story and she was like, yeah. I obviously wore boots. Yeah. You know? like, like it was, That's right. Yeah, but yeah. the person who wrote that comment, I think, um, after I wrote the column, sent her a package in the mail. That was pretty scary. It said, oh, like a handwritten, it was strange, but. Wow. Yeah, the, they printed out some of her articles and gone through them with a red pen and, and, like, made notes. And then there was a note there that said, um, quit whining, do journalism. A handwritten note. Uh, I mean... <laughs> so strange. This is beyond any sort yeah. of... Uh, that That's beyond uh, uh, some sort of sector of the public, right? That's just yes. a genuinely crazy yes, human being. that like, was... Not regular, no. (laughs) So, I mean, when it comes to these tweets and things, and and we've talked a little about, like, the comment section on the Telegram, or at least the, I guess, does Telegram still do comment sections? Well, on Facebook, but... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and the sort of trolling element of of that. I mean, are you able to tell if these people are even in Newfoundland? Are these, (laughs) like... Yeah, we are. So, that... uh, Yeah, there's worse comments that I could tell you after that. So, that, that column that I wrote about the comments from the FenFest got way worse comments, if you want to talk about that. Like, that made national (laughs) news. Right. It was horrible. But, yes, what you're asking, yes, we can. We we could. I mean, all all sites, all... If you comment on a site, I mean, I'm sure if somebody leaves a comment on your site, you can see their IP address. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not involved in that behind the scenes. I can see when they submit, when they used to submit a comment, I'd be able to, like, I'd get a copy of it in my email. You'd see an IP address, but I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's a number. But, so I don't know where they're from. 
I'm sure there's a way to tell. Right. But I, I know, and I, I know this is what you want to talk about because I know that you, <laughs> you find this fascinating. <laughs> I do. About the times that um, it, it would happen a lot that people would uh, submit comments on the Telegram site, anonymous comments, because we allowed them then. Everybody allowed them then. And they'd submit them to us, and we'd see their IP address. And then they we'd get another comment arguing with that comment, and it would be submitted to us in our different name, but with the same IP address. So there would be people sometimes arguing with themselves just to instigate, I suppose. Right. I don't the know true why. kind of troll bot That's style. That's troll. That's, yeah. 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 Wild, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. It's I weird. had a friend years ago who uh, who used to moderate the VOCM comments. Oh, well, and, yeah. And uh, during that period of time, uh, we were, like, genuinely worried about them. Like, we right. could see... And I remember we would see comments at yeah. the time and, and someone would go, can you believe this comment? Yeah. And their response would always be like, and that was the one that was legally allowed to be posted. Right. Like the, what, the thing you were upset about was a moderated comment. Oh, yeah. Like that, think always... about the ones that didn't get through. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It's that's wild. That's true. Yeah, that's true. How that's do you true. find that bleeds into daily life or not? Is it a completely separate like this sort of ecosystem of online bullshittery <laughs> is it does hmm. do you find that ever are you ever confronted with something that you're like wow that i can see how what seemed to start here actually led to something in real life or does it feel like two totally different realities well and when i did that column i got rape threats Jesus. and death threats and so yeah it you, <laughs> can you not be affected by that of course but generally, no. And people and and they don't. Well, if if somebody wants to read a story and say that I'm the most terrible writer, they can say that. I welcome that opinion. That's their opinion. You read the story and you formed opinion, and that's my goal. If you don't like it, that's okay. <laughs> you know. Right. So it doesn't. No, it doesn't bother me. I think everybody's entitled to their opinion, and does not bother me. But it's when it gets scary or personal or that yeah, that's when it bleeds into. And otherwise, no, I don't care. <laughs> they can say. That. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, I, I welcome their comments as long as they're, you know, socially acceptable as a human being comments. Sure, you know, sure. opinion based and yeah, sure. But oh yeah, it was shocking. That is wild. Mm -hmm. That is wild. Yeah. Um God, you know, Des was here. Uh, Des Walsh was here well, uh, yeah. a, a couple of weeks ago, and um, he was talking about writing Boys of St. Vincent. Right. And that was, you know, the pre-internet stuff like right. that. Like he was getting yeah. threats and yes. got, a, got a call that was like, we know where your kids go to school. Is that true? Yeah, that's Like in the lead up to writing that particular That's thing. frightening. And I just can't, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to put yourself in a place where you're like, that's the daily life of someone at that point, whether that's been yep. you in regular yep. existence. Yeah. Or, it's hard. Know. It's the hardest part of that was, um, that whole femme fest thing, because that, that's the worst that I've ever got. The worst. And it was a period of two weeks where it was almost constant. It was so bad. But the worst part about that was not, so much being scared, you know, that something was going to happen, but being upset by it. And then my son asking what's wrong, mama. And then having to explain to, I mean, how old was he then? Six, mm. five, six to a six year old sexism 
and misogyny. To, to have to explain that. I didn't want to have to explain. I thought he would have another few years before he was corrupted by that. Right. And, I, and I had to explain. And first when I said to him, yeah, he was six. And I'd say, like, you know, this is their opinion. And they think, you know, because there are comments like, uh, why don't you give it up, stop working and trying to act like a man, go home and take care of your babies, like things like this. And I had to explain, you know, there, there are people in the world that think this way. And that, and first he thought it was a joke. Like at yeah. six, like he went, what? Right. Like that. Because in his mind was like, what the? Like he couldn't even fathom that, that people would That's telling right think. there. I mean, that that explains it all. And that the idea that a child would be like, this is a joke, right? It's like, yeah, we, we learned all this bullshit at some point mm-hmm. that a child, al- all child already knows the child difference. Child already knows. Yeah. That broke my heart. That to have to take that innocence away from him and to explain it's not a joke, baby. That's how people actually think. Some people, some people. That was hard. That was, I could cry when I think about that now. That was the hardest part about that whole thing. And that's the end of part one of my conversation with Tara Bradbury. I hope you enjoyed that. You can find this podcast on Podbean as well as on Google Play and soon to be on other podcast services. Please like or subscribe to the podcast so you can get regular updates about when new episodes come out and tune in next week for part two of my conversation with Tara. See you then.